passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Good morning. My name is Jordan. Uh, it is a privilege to get to worship with you this morning as we celebrate uh, Christmas. Over the last couple of weeks here at Crosswinds, we've been working our way through a sermon series looking at how Jesus has transformed the world. And we've seen a number of different ways that Jesus has done that. But this morning, we're actually going to consider the greatest of all of the ways that Jesus has transformed the world uh, revealed to us in John 1. John 1, as we heard earlier, describes the wonder, but also kind of the mystery of the Christmas story, where God takes on flesh and, and dwells among humanity. And we might ask, why? Why exactly does God do this? And the answer is given to us in that passage in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. We read this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The story of the Christmas, uh, the story of Christmas, is essentially the story of those who are far from God being welcomed into God's family. In the broader context of salvation, Christmas is inseparable from the story of Easter, the victory of God over sin, over death, in order to ransom people from every nation under the earth to be a part of God's global family. And as we prepare our hearts for the celebration of Christmas, I want us to do that by just considering four truths that are on display from John chapter 1. We're just going to look at verses 9 through 14 this morning and see how Jesus forever changed the world for your good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glory of Christmas, but also at the same time, we confess that all too often we can be distracted by a thousand different things from focusing on the marvel of what Jesus has done and taking on flesh coming to earth. And so, God, we ask this morning that you would calm our hearts, calm our minds, remove these distractions so that we might focus on you. We confess that you are good, that you are faithful, and we ask that you would reveal yourself and your glory to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our passage in John begins with this powerful reminder of Jesus' place in the world. He is the world's creator. That's our first truth from John. Christmas tells the story of Jesus coming to that which is his own. Take a look at verse 9 again. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Christmas is a marvel because it's the story of the creator joining in and walking among his creation. That's one of the powerful truths of John's intro to his gospel. He doesn't start the Christmas story with the events that took place in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Instead, he starts before time itself even existed. That's what we saw in the first four verses of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. 
And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Christmas, when we begin to truly meditate on on what we celebrate, it should be hard for us to understand, for us to fully fathom. How is it possible that the creator becomes a part of his creation? One Christmas story, the song Arrival by Hillsong, captures in beautiful imagery the heart of this mystery. It says this, Who is God that he would take our frame, the artisan inside the paint, or breathe the very air his breath sustains, the architect inside the plan? O come now, hail his arrival, the God of creation, royalty robed in the flesh he created. Jesus, the maker, has made himself known. All hail the infinite, infant God. The one who had no start and knows no end becomes confined to time and tense. The everlasting God, the great I am, in the mercy of a mother's hands, love embraced our fate when the playwright took the stage. You see, the marvel of the Christmas story is this sobering reminder that Jesus is not just an infant in a barn on the fringes of Bethlehem, on the fringes of the Roman Empire, far from the places of power thousands of years ago. Christmas is a reminder of the king of the cosmos coming to earth, the one that all creation longs for has at long last come as its creator, as its king. It belongs to him, and it's meant to serve him. This Christmas, we must remember the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Christmas tells the story of Jesus coming to that which is his own. Of course, that's not all. The story of the king coming into his creation, we would assume would be met with with great fanfare and great celebration, especially when we consider what this king is like. He's benevolent and kind. But that's not what John tells us of what comes next. Nor is it the testimony of human history throughout the ages. And that's our second truth. Christmas tells the sobering reality of the rejection of God. Look at verse 10 again. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. We see this on a number of levels and in a number of different ways. First, we can think of the Christmas story. On the night of Jesus' birth, he was not housed in a palace of luxury, but was instead born among animals in a stable. His mother Mary and her betrothed Joseph were turned away from any place of lodging, as we read in Luke chapter 2. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Of course, that's not primarily what John has in mind when he says his own did not receive him. You look at the Gospels and we see that Jesus' ministry was not met with acceptance and rejoicing, but instead with condemnation. Each of the Gospels tells us of the hostility that Jesus met from his own people. They had a paradigm of what their king was supposed to be like. Jesus didn't fit that paradigm, and so instead they opted to put him to 
death. And I think oftentimes when we read these words in John chapter 1, this idea of his own people who did not receive him, we see it as this condemnation of the Jewish people who reject Jesus, and yet we also kind of read into this that there's an acknowledgement that those who were not his people, they did receive him. Those who were his people did not receive him, but the implication, of course, is those who were not his people did receive him. But that's not what John's saying. What John is saying is that even the people that you would expect to receive Jesus with open arms, the Jewish people who had first heard the promises of God, they had rejected Jesus, and his, if his own people had rejected him, how much more is that rejection a reality for the rest of humanity? And that's what we see throughout the Bible, of course. In the beginning, Adam and Eve, the first humans, they sought to throw off the rule of God. Ever since that moment, humanity has been following in the footsteps of their first parents. No one longs for their king. No one stays perfectly faithful. No one has said the words, we welcome you, Lord Jesus, without the intervention of God himself in their lives. That's the sobering reality of Christmas, that it's a part of this habitual pattern of creation, rejecting their creator. Throughout the ages, across the globe, humanity has rejected their king. Even at Christmas, when at long last he comes, he's not met with joy and adoration, but primarily with rejection. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Of course, there is some good news that in the midst of the rejection of the king and of the creator, in spite of all of this rejection of humanity, God still makes a way for those who are far from him to enter into his family forever. That's the third truth from John chapter one. Christmas is a message of lasting hope. It's a message of lasting hope. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. C.S. Lewis once perfectly summed up the meaning and purpose of Christmas when he said, the son of God became man that men might become sons of God. That's the Christmas story. That's what John is saying here, that those who are far from God might become a part of his family. God's response to humanity's wholesale rejection of him and his rule is not to return the favor, it's not to respond in like kind, but instead to welcome those who were far off into his family. What's more, we see the kind of welcome he offers to those who would join his family. To join his family, you don't have to do penance to prove your sorriness. You don't have to go on probation to make sure that you don't screw up again. The welcome into the family of God is one of unconditional welcome from the king. What does it mean to believe in his name? 
We actually had a lengthy conversation about this last night at the supper table with my kids. What does it mean to believe in the name of Jesus? We actually see the answer later on in John's gospel. Jesus is talking to his friend Martha after her brother had died, and we see this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's consider Martha's response here to Jesus in this idea of belief. Martha's statement here is is a statement of intellectual acknowledgement of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the one who is coming into the world. Notice the the language is very similar to John chapter 1. But it's far more than just this intellectual assent to a, a series of beliefs. Martha is declaring that because of what Jesus is in his identity, who he claims to be, then he is able to bring about what he claims he is going to bring about Remember how Paul describes or defines faith and trust and belief in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So when John says, But to all who did receive him, who all all believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He's saying, whoever trusts that God is able to do what he has promised. Whoever trusts that God is able to do what he said he will do. It's to those people. that God gives the right to become children of God. When we look at the scriptures and we see all of these unbelievable, glorious promises that God has made, promises to bring the dead to life, promises to make God's enemies into his children, promises to make you white as snow, when you look at those promises and you look at your own life and you say, I don't know how on earth God is able to do that. I don't know why on earth God would do that to someone like me, but God is a God worth trusting. Those are the people that are forever a part of God's family. No wonder Christmas is a message of lasting hope. John goes even further in describing this last, lasting hope in the following verses. The reality is the story of Christmas is actually a part of God's unrelenting plan to dwell with humanity. Christmas is ultimately a part of God's unrelenting plan to dwell with humanity. That's the fourth truth, our final one this morning. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. The Bible begins with God creating paradise. He creates the Garden of Eden where God actually dwells with humanity, that humanity had the chance to walk with God, to talk with God, to live with God. But once humanity rebelled against God, creation breaks, God no longer dwells among people. People can't dwell with God because of the brokenness that is caused by sin. And millennia go by, and God instructs a man named Moses to build a tabernacle, to build a tent, where God finally will dwell with people again. But that's a far cry from what things once were like because there are hundreds of rules, hundreds of regulations on how the people of Israel could possibly have God in their midst and not be consumed by a holy fire. What's more, only one person is able to enter into God's presence and that person can only do it once a year. But then Jesus steps onto the scene and something new happens. The word becomes flesh, dwells among us. In the person of Jesus, God at long last is dwelling amongst humanity once more. The significance of Christmas cannot be overstated because now that Jesus dwells among us, we are guaranteed a future dwelling forever with God. John, who writes John's gospel, also wrote another book called Revelation. He describes what this will be like at the end of the book of Revelation. He says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you realize how much you matter to God? That God's original plan was to dwell with humanity forever. And nothing Not sin, not rebellion, not even death itself could stand in the way of his plan to live with his people. To those who believe in his name and are forever his children. That's the heart of the Christmas story, that those who are far from him can now forever dwell with him as a part of his family. Don't lose sight of that wonderful, glorious truth this Christmas, that those who are far from him can now forever, forever dwell with him as a part of his family. You know, maybe this Christmas you are intimately aware of the brokenness 
of this world. Maybe Christmas for you isn't necessarily a time of joy and family. Because maybe family is a source of pain. Maybe that's because of estrangement or broken relationships. Maybe it's a visceral reminder of who isn't with you because you've lost a loved one. Maybe Christmas doesn't feel like celebrating to you because there's this dark cloud that seems to just be hanging over your life and your future and you have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring and yet it's precisely because of that brokenness that we need the story of Christmas. We need lasting hope. We need a promise that the king of the cosmos has come not to destroy his creation, but instead he has come to save it, to adopt orphans into his family, to bring those who are from broken families and welcome them into his family, that you can dwell forever in the presence of God because at Christmas, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Christmas, the glory of what you have done in sending your son. Jesus, we can't fully fathom the lengths to which you went to bring people into the family of God. But the glimpse that we catch leaves us in awe. Help us this Christmas to remember the glorious truth of the gospel of what you have done for us in Jesus and because of Jesus. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.